0: Hey there podcast listener if this is your first time here welcome to the eat half walk double podcast coming to you from the ascend endurance coaching studios here in beautiful strafford new hampshire us of a i'm your host chris dunn if you've listened to the show before well welcome back so this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach race director and athlete told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Patty Higgins is my guest this week. For decades, she carried with her the heavy burden of a secret that only the innermost of her inner circle knew about. While outwardly, she appeared to those who knew her as a dedicated endurance athlete and successful professional, inwardly, she felt ashamed, embarrassed, scared, and alone. Then on December 16th, 2016, out of desperation, she finally surrendered. Her life hasn't been the same since. Her journey is one of possibility and a deep sense of gratitude for the gift of each new day. Well, here she is, Patty Higgins. Patty, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: It's nice to see you. You too. As, as always. Um, you and I are uh, are lucky. Uh, well, perhaps I consider myself lucky. I Maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but uh, I feel lucky that I get the opportunity to uh, um to see you uh, quite frequently, you and I uh, meet once a month virtually. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, and you have uh, you've joined uh, uh, my wife Karen and uh, my dogs uh, Tucker and Boone for at least one of our group trail runs recently. Two, two, right. <laughs> and uh, that's right. Yes, you were. Yeah, you, yep. right. you were there. This, you were there. Uh, very recently last weekend, um, and, uh, and, uh, uh hung back and walked with uh, our friend Steph. Yes. So, okay. That's yep. right. You, you were there indeed. Um, well for the, for the listener uh, who isn't familiar with, uh, uh, Patty Higgins, uh, why don't you share a little bit about yourself including where you live and what you do professionally.
1: Okay. Um, I live in York, Maine right now. I'm from Massachusetts where I lived there probably till about 2010 before moving to Maine. Um, I grew up an athlete. I swam and played uh, tennis competitively up until well, right through college. And then when I had kids, I, I still exercised, but it was primarily you know, going to the Y, swimming. Um, I, I didn't run until later on in life And um, I had started coaching my kids' swim team at the Salem Y. And um, I was approached by Brandy Dion, who at the time was the wellness um, director. And she had asked if I wanted to get involved in a triathlon training group. Um, So I think I was about 35 back then, early 2000s. And that's where I met... um, a group of women who I, we started training together every weekend. We did races together. We started off with, you know, the sprint triathlons and worked our way up to, you know, most of us have done Ironman races and 22 years later, we're still, you know, we're still best of friends, still working out together. Um, and, you know, through my, through those friends, I met a uh, a good friend of mine, Jim Logan, who, um, who had met you, I think at a snowshoe race. And he was the one who introduced me to, to acidotic racing. And, um, I had sent you an email, you know, asking about the group, you know, I wanted to get in on the, on the fun. And, um, I sent you an email with my bio and you, um, you welcomed me into acidotic racing. And that's where, that's when I started doing trail races and, um, mostly trail races. And I dabbled in some snowshoe races and, you know, I continued to do triathlon right through. Um,
0: And we, we had, we, we think we had determined that was uh, the late uh, single digit 2000s, 2009, or maybe 2010 uh, was when, was when you and I um, had our first introduction to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah through Jim. And, and as, as, uh, I, I appreciate you, um, mentioning Jim as, as, as our, as our, uh, connection point because, um, Jim, um, Jim was a, was a very good friend of acidotic racing. I had met, I had met, uh, Jim and, uh, uh, and Deb Jackson uh, through snowshoe racing, I- initially, um, Jim was involved with um, a, a group, uh, a triathlon group, a multi-sport group in the Salem, Massachusetts area, Comprehensive Racing. Yep. And uh, that group, um, in- including Jim and um, and uh, Jay Curry and Patrick Smith right, and Christopher Smith uh and sal Genovese yes yes um I, I, I um um I I could I could I yep. could go I could go on and on yeah. um with uh, Bill Morse um could go on and on. A- anyway that it, it it was it was that group um uh, comprehensive racing um that um that I was introduced to 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 Jim again as part of their support of of what we were doing up here in New Hampshire in terms of snowshoe racing. Um, uh, just quick circle back. Um, you 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 gave a, a little bit of an introduction in terms of your athletic bio. Um, but What do you do professionally?
1: I'm an accountant. Okay. I have been an accountant for since I got out of college.
0: Yeah that uh, that sounds really exciting.
1: It is so exciting. <laughs> You know, I, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but um, when I was in college, one of my professors said, "You know, if you really want to be a marine biologist, you're going to have to go to school for eight years and get your doctorate." And I was like, "No, that's not happening. I'm got to take the easy way out. I'm going to be an accountant." Here well, I we am. Just,
0: well, we're—I mean, we're kidding about. Um... Uh, how exciting being an accountant! How, how exciting being an accountant is! It's not obviously really exciting. Uh, however, unfortunately, uh, where you happen to work, and you don't need to name names, um, it has been rather exciting over the last few years um, in terms of um, in terms of the in terms of the work environment, and just in yep. in in terms of the in terms of the industry that you are in, it has yes. been. Let's let's just say it's been a challenging time indeed. Uh, to yep. be in the professional sector that you are right. in right um, so while, so while while counting beans isn't in and of itself terribly exciting mm-hmm. um, sometimes the places that you work uh, end up being exciting even if you don't really intend them to um, sure. well uh thank you for that introduction you know you're because I know you uh, you're a really humble person so i'm i'm not surprised that you uh, left out the part about being one of the top ranked female age group triathletes in New England. Not surprised you left that out. (laughs) Um, Fact is, that's the (laughs) truth. Uh, You are. uh, uh, You currently uh, have that uh, distinction. So you you recently returned from St. George, Utah where you competed in uh, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. Yes. What was that experience like?
1: It was amazing. Um, You know, when I had qualified, I I had really no intention of even trying to qualify. I had signed up for um, Ironman Wisconsin in 2021. And as part of my training camp, I did Timberman 70.3 in August of 2021. And during, you know, that training for that race, you had told me to hold back, go easy, don't get hurt. You know, your A race is Wisconsin. So, you know, Timberman's just a tune up, work on your transitions. And so, you know, that was my intent. Um, and I, you know, I ended up placing second in my age group, which, you know, in order to qualify for Worlds, whether it you know, be full Iron Man, half Iron Man. You pretty much, when you're in my age group, you have to win your age group. So I, I hadn't given it a second thought as to even qualifying. It that wasn't that wasn't on my mind at all. And so I, you know, did Timberman play second and that was in August, went on to do Wisconsin. And then a few months later I got an email from Ironman saying that I qualified for Worlds. And so this was the end of October. And um, so that was a a surprise for me. Um, And I remember asking you if, you know, hey, Chris, I qualified for Worlds, you know, should I do it? And you're like, yeah, opportunity of a lifetime. So, you know, I ended up, um, that became my A-race for 2022, which, you know, I just got back about six weeks ago, I think. Mm. Um, Um, Yeah.
0: Well, and interestingly enough, as, as, as a races go, so in, um, uh, in coaching and in, in, uh, in endurance sports in general, as endurance athletes and as, as coaches, um, we, we like to prioritize events. Based on based on how important that event is, specifically, um, what events we are designing our training for, right? So so races are 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 prioritized as A events, A is an apple, B is in boy, C is in cucumber, A B or C events. Um, A events are the top priority events. As you, as you just described, they are, they are the events that we build our training plans around. Um, B priority, B as in boy, B priority events are sort of secondary priority events. They are generally events um, that fit in the the training schedule for the A event and they support uh, our uh, development toward that A event. C, uh, as in, as in cucumbers, C events um, usually are events that we do purely for fun with no performance-based expectations. Sometimes those C, C events make the cut and fit into the training camp. Sometimes they don't. But, but, and, 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 and as part of that prioritization, not only does it help to determine and dictate how we prepare for these events but the prioritization of the events a b or c um, help us to create goals whether they're performance based goals or process based goals right generally and in most cases our a events have performance based goals right we want to we want to set a pr or we want to run a qualifying time or we want to place in our age group Performance-based goals. That is in comparison to process-based goals. Process-based goals would be things like I want to uh, I want to improve my tra- transition times. I want to um, you know I want to stay in arrow you know most of the climbs or um, I want to I want to dial in my hydration. In other words, there. are they're, they are important things that we must do. Process-based things that we must do, and if we do them, we're going to put ourselves in the best possible position to uh, to achieve our performance-based goals. This is a this is a long way to get to this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man seventy point three World Championships that you just got back from. Yep, it was an A priority event. In other words, we built your training camp. Around that event so that, so that from a, from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from a, uh, from a a metrics standpoint, everything was going to line up for you to be in the best possible position to have an amazing experience. Right. Um, as part of that, as part of that preparation, I ask all of my athletes to do a race plan and we have a, I don't know, it's a 14 or 15 point race plan that we do. In addition to that race plan, I asked I ask you to set goals. And, and because it was an A race, um, I said the goals could be performance-based or process-based or a combination. Um, when I got your race plan back, in, including your goals, um, I can't say that I was surprised. Um, well, I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> when I saw... That your that your goals were performance based, it, excuse me, process based. Yep. That you did not have any performance based goals right. for the World Championships. Right. What? Why? Wh- how did you come to that? What? 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 why, well, why was that?
1: Well, in um, in June, I I did the White Mountain Olympic
0: Triathlon,
1: right. and I had set some Pretty hefty goals for myself, you know, my bike pace, my my run pace, uh, my swim, and um, I don't think I reached any of the paces that I that I wanted to reach. I still wound up first in my age group, which, you know, by me setting those goals and not achieving them, I felt like I did not have the race that I should have. I also made the mistake of setting performance-based goals on a bike course. I had done some of the bike course, but I didn't do the whole thing. I didn't do the last six miles of that bike course, which happened to be on a bike path uphill with, you know, the, the pavement was uneven. It was just, you know, it was probably the, it was the slowest six miles of the race for sure. Um, so I remember the feeling after that race, after the swim, I came out, looked at my watch, and I I didn't hit the pace that I wanted to. I was bummed. Um, as you know, or uh, any triathlete knows, if you come out of the water and, and you're happy with your swim, that that sets the pace for the for the rest of the race. Well, if you have a, a not so great swim, you know already you're. I'm like, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, okay, now I've I've got to make up three minutes on the bike you know, in the back of my mind, I want to hit, you know, a 120 time from my bike. And, you know, I come in at a 123 and not bad, you know, I, I, my MPH was still pretty high, but I didn't hit the 120. Now on my run, I got, I got to make up eight minutes, <laughs> you know, and, um, I had a decent run too, but I, I certainly didn't make up the time. And, you know, it, it just, that stuck with me all summer long. You know, I, I, I had a great race, but I should never have set the performance goals on something. I, I had never, never done the course, you know. Um, and also coming into uh, 70.3, I had some um, health issues pop up. Uh, the race was October 28th and on end of September, I came down with COVID. And if that wasn't bad enough, uh, 10 days out before Worlds, I got shingles. (laughs) So I had a a double whammy. And, um, you know, at that point, once I had the shingles, I was just, I never thought I was going to make it to the start line. You know, I remember laying in bed Sunday night before I was leaving, thinking, you know, I've worked so hard for this. I'm, I hadn't gone to the doctor yet. And I was, I was afraid, you know, you guys have seen the commercials on TV You're, You know, you're broken out and all this, this big rash and it's, you think it's super contagious. I I didn't think I'd be making it to the start line. Come to find out, um, you know, I went to the doctor and it wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, I still had internal pain, but by that time I was just grateful to, to get to the start line. So, you know, having that gratitude for just being able to go number one, you know, it's the world championship. I, you know, I'm not gonna, maybe a a year ago I would have had, you know, some hefty performance based goals. Um, but I just, I was just so full of gratitude to get to the start line. And I really, I had talked to a few people who had done the race last year. Um, and, you know, I was told, just take it in. You know, the, the scenery is amazing. Um, and I think going in with that attitude, I didn't put any pressure on myself. And I really was able to enjoy the race. I had my, my two daughters came and my friend, um, you know, who I had met at that tri-training group 20 years ago. She's been a, a great supporter of mine. And, you know, the four of us went out. We had the best time. It was just so great to have, you know, my girls there with me and Cindy. And um, so I just had more gratitude just to just to go and, and experience the whole thing and be with all those amazing athletes. You know, we got to the uh, the swim in the morning and the, the air temperature was 38 degrees. And, you know, you're watching these pros and, you know, practicing their swims in the, in the cold, cold water and. Um, I was just, I was just, you know, my jaw was dropped the whole time. I was just, I was so grateful just to be there. Um, so I, you know, I, I walked away. Um, I was fine with the way I, I raced. I didn't place in the top 25%. Um, I think I, you know, I was like 64th in the world, not bad. Um, so that, you know, I, I don't going forward, um, I've just, I've learned so much in the past two years, you know, not putting so much pressure on myself to, to succeed. And, you know, I had a similar situation at um, Ironman, Wisconsin, where, you know, just grateful to get to the start line.
0: Yeah, it's, it, and it, 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 it's a, it's a great lesson. We'll, we're going to talk in a moment about, um, you know, your, your journey to, uh Ironman 70.3 world championship because that journey w- wasn't just 16 weeks you know right right um <laughs> the, the, the this this journey that you've been on um you have been on um for several years now we'll talk more about that in, in just a moment but i i think your i think your example of of a willingness and, and openness to, to go into an event with such high consequence as a world championship with, with only process-based goals and expectations, I think, I, think, I think really, I think tells an important story and there's really important le- lessons embedded in that. That event m- meant no less to you because you didn't have performance-based goals, right. um, but yet, but yet you were able to walk away from the event. I think with a much richer and deeper experience, definitely. Then you, then you potentially you might have if you had gone in with the heavy, heavy burden of performance-based expectations. Whether those performance-based expectations were time-based or whether they were place-based. Um, it, it's it's a really, really good lesson, I think for for athletes to hear that um, that you that you can that you can that you can race at a high level and you can compete in a in a consequential event and not necessarily always have to have performance-based expectations and have just as as rich and fulfilling, an experience as someone who went in with performance-based expectations do you believe that's true
1: oh totally totally i you know i i've been thinking about it for the past you know since i got back and um just you know having having my family there um being able to get to the start line i honestly didn't think i was going to be able to do that and um the scenery out there i it just i i came out of the water got on my bike you know, I'm, I'm riding, I'm not even a mile in and I'm, and I'm crying. I've got tears rolling down my face. It was just, you know, just being there was amazing. And all I, all I wanted to do was to, you know, just to finish, you know, enjoy, enjoy it, take it all in.
0: But you, but you've known athletes, perhaps you, you've even been this athlete in the past who maybe comes out of the water a couple minutes behind their target pace and um, all of a sudden their disposition changes, their attitude changes. They begin to press and they begin to stress. And next thing you know, their world, their, their world shrinks, really their peripheral vision begins to disappear. In other words, yeah. In other words, that, that, um, that amazingly breathtaking scenery that you were racing in, under those circumstances gets narrowed down to just your wheel in front of you right. and the pavement underneath your wheel. Right. In other yep. words, your ability to take in everything else that, that the event had to offer to you um, disappears the moment that you, the moment that you lose that sense of gratitude and that you begin to press right towards some arbitrary performance goal. Right. Cause right. Cause we're, as endurance athletes, I mean, not, not every performance goal is arbitrary, but oftentimes they're arbitrary. I mean, yeah. if you've never raced this course before under these circumstances in this type of training situation, how would you possibly know what you could do for a swim time or a mi- average miles per hour on a bike or a you know a, or a, or, a, or a total run time or how in the world would you know where you would place? Uh, In a, in a group of athletes, because you, you can't, that, those things are completely, the other athlete part is completely out of your, out of your control. And, you know, I mean, there's so much about race day that, 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 that is in your control, but there's an equal amount that's not in your control as well. Yeah the, 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 the the weather, the uh, travel circumstances, the fact that you had battled those two illnesses anyway, I just, I think, I think your I think your approach of using process based goals at a world championship, like I think that's I think that's that that's that breaks the mold. Like I think people need to hear that because <laughs> it is possible for a for a high level athlete like you uh, to have process based goals at a world championship and still walk away having had the time of their life. I mean, right. You yeah. agree that you agree oh, that you oh, yeah. had the time of your life. I
1: did. I it was the it was the best experience I've ever had during a race. Period. So we,
0: of course, without 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 mentioning it, we kind of mentioned it, and that is that um, uh, that it, this fact that you and I have worked together um, in a in a coach relationship for uh, for several years now. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, about how that coach-athlete relationship developed because um, the story of how you came to hire me um, in, um, in, in 2017, um, how you got there. I mean, that's the story I think of, of this, of this podcast, but, um, but let let me, let me kind of, let me, let me frame it this way. Let me set you up this way. So you hired me, uh, as your coach, uh, in, in February of 2017, I, I actually went back into our, into your training peaks account. And I looked, I looked to see when the, when the first sign of my involvement in your training uh, began and that was February of 2017. Um, something really important happened on December 16th of 2016 that led to that decision. Yep. what was what what happened to you on December 16th of 2016 that that led you to determine that you needed to hire me?
1: That was my um, sobriety date. I had been a problem drinker since I was in high school. And, um, you know, December 16th, 2016, I, I was fortunate enough to, um, to make the first move to, to seek help. And um, that was my sobriety date. So I've been sober six years now.
0: So you had um, you had volunteered uh, for uh, you had volunteered for acidotic racing your your club the the, the, the club that I that the club that I manage um, and own you had volunteered for us at the Mount Washington Road Race in Gorham, New Hampshire, in 2016 as part of yeah. that volunteer service. At the mount washington road race in 2016 um you uh you had the opportunity to to take a um, um, mount washington lottery bypass the following year in june of 2017 basically uh, the way that works the mount washington road race here in new hampshire is held annually every june uh it's an incredibly popular event and so entry is by either sort of special qualification, you know, finishing and finishing you know um finishing a certain place in your age group or finishing you know a certain place overall um and then essentially everybody else is, gets in on a lottery, right? So it's a sort of a lottery system. So it's very it's a suffice to say it's a difficult race to get into. So these right. these These bypass, meaning you bypass the lottery, you still have to pay the entry fee, but you bypass the lottery. One way that you do that is, is through volunteer service. And at that time, our club was one of the volunteer clubs for the Mount Washington Road Race. So you volunteered for us in 2016. Um, (laughs) Now, as you said, you, you volunteered in 2016, without the intention of ever running the race, you just wanted to help out. It just so happens (laughs) you were going to get a lottery bypass and who knows what you were going to do with that. Probably give it to a friend or whatever, but you had no, you had, you had no intention of doing it yourself.
1: Absolutely Um,
0: not. So in, in, you said in, in 2000, you said on December 16th, in 2016 that you surrendered out of desperation to the disease of alcoholism that you had that you had had enough. Um my question to and you and you 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 sort of alluded to it in, in your earlier comment, but um my question is were you a problem drinker from your very first drink? And and if so, like how yeah how does how does someone know that they're a problem drinker at their their I mean I can I can vividly remember my first drink, yeah, um, and um, I, I don't remember at that time thinking that I'm a problem drinker, right, I, right. And I don't mean <laughs> to sound trite. I just no. I, I how do you know?
1: Well, um, I, I it was my first the first time I drank, and I had uh, gone to a high school dance, and you know I was always a quiet, shy kid, and um, you know that once I had my first sip of alcohol that, that I fit in, I could, you know, I could talk to people. I, I just, I felt like, you know, a regular person. And um, so I got to the, to the dance and, you know, I had had way too much to drink. And I got taken home by the cops, (laughs) I didn't tell you that part. (laughs) <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, yeah. So uh, my first time drinking, I was brought home by the cops. I don't remember anything, um, what happened. And I kept going, you know, I, um, you know, here I am in high school and every weekend I'm, I'm partying, I'm drinking with my friends. I'm hanging out with the, you know, the partyers, and I, I'm loving it. It's I, I'm fitting in. I feel like I belong. Uh, went to college and again partying every weekend and um, you know I I ended up having to transfer schools because I uh, I was gonna get kicked out because my grades weren't that great and that's when I you know I switched from biology to to accounting and you um, you know, I had to go to school for an extra two years because I had to take the extra classes. Meanwhile, I'm I'm still partying every weekend, and you know, into your twenties, your friends are partying. You're, in. I grew up in a in a, with a family who, you know, every holiday, it was drinking. Everybody drank. Um, that that's what I knew. And you know, after I had kids, I you know I'm still drinking, and um, I, I can't stop. I, I know I have to stop, but I can't. Uh, you know, when you're uh, uh, an alcoholic, you're, you've, you're full of shame, guilt, remorse, embarrassment. Um, you, you do things that, number one, I didn't remember doing because I blacked out every time I drank. Um, you know, somebody would say, hey, do you remember what you did last night? Like, no, I don't. And uh, it just it just went on year after year into my thirties. And, you know, I'm, I think because I was somewhat functional, I, I self justified the drinking. I still got up to do my workouts. I still went to work, never missed a day of work. You know, I was coaching my kids swim team. I was taking them to their swim meets. Um, I, I did everything that, you know, a, a normal parent would do except at the end of the day, I would drink until I passed out at night. And, um, I got to be about, you know, in my forties and it became a, a, a daily thing. And again, I couldn't stop. Um, I was still racing. Every race that I had signed up for was with the intent. This is going to be the race that I stopped drinking. You know, the longer the race, the harder the race, the, the better chance I had at being able to stop, and it—that's it, not the way it works. You know, unfortunately, um, every race I did, I would, you know, I, I'd be in a triathlon and I'd be getting passed by by people, and I would say to myself, "I wonder what I could do if I were sober." Um, and every, I, at, at one point, I—I um, I don't know if you recall that uh, website Athlinks, where it would list all of the races that you did. And, um, there were races in there that I had no recollection of doing. And, you know, I didn't, it's not that I was drinking, you know, in the morning before the race, I just think, you know, (laughs) it alcohol does so much to your body and does so much damage. I just think, you know, I, I, there were things I couldn't remember, you know, there, there are years that have gone by and I, I can't like, you know, I have a hard time remembering, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so I had, you know, I, by the time I was, was in my fifties, um, I, you know, I, I had a, a granddaughter, brand new granddaughter, my mom, her, her health was failing, and uh, in, in the back of my mind, I, I, knew I, I knew I had to stop, and I, I couldn't stop for anything. Um, you know, it's, it's very common for an alcoholic to, to try all these different things to stop, you know, a move. Um, you know, you move your location, uh, you change jobs. Uh, you know you try drinking something else you you know you say you're gonna just drink one drink nothing works you know if you're an alcoholic um, you pretty much there you, you need help um you know it's it's scientific that uh, most people cannot stop on their own and um i you know i had appointments at the doctors and you know they would say hey you know if you don't stop you're gonna you know, you're going to kill yourself. And, you know, when a doctor tells you that and you can't stop, you, you know, you have a problem. And I was told that, um, you know, by the time I'm 60 years old, I, I was, I might not be alive. And I, uh, I'm alone. I'm a closet drinker. I, um, I'm not telling anybody about my drinking, you know, obviously there are family members that know that I have a problem, but, um, they don't necessarily know what to do either. You know, um, it's, and for me, it was, it was a secret. I held so much, um, inside, uh, you know, of course I was 40 pounds heavier. Um, I was still racing, but you know, I, I felt like shit. And, um, it got to the point where you know, if I was training for an Ironman, you know, I'd go out and ride for six hours, I'd come home and the first thing I would do is have a drink, you know, and I got to the point where I okay, well, if I start drinking before two, I'll I'll stop, you know, and all of a sudden it's it's one o'clock, I'm starting to drink, and then it's twelve and and I, I still can't stop. Um and
0: yeah, you, you you had stated that- I don't mean to interrupt you, but i no. th- there was something really, really interesting that that you had said in your, uh, in your, um, your uh, pre-show stuff that you sent me. Y- y- you had stated that you you had the willpower to to get up at four a.m. Right to do your Ironman workouts. Yep. To go to work. Yep. Day in and day out.
1: Yep.
0: But you couldn't stop drinking. Right. So how is it that, how is it that you, that you had the willpower to remain a a productive athlete and professional, but but you didn't have the willpower to just stop drinking?
1: Stop. Right. Um, I, it's a disease, which, you know, after being in recovery, I have learned a lot about uh, alcoholism and, you know, it's not just a an obsession to drink. It's spiritual, mind, physical. Um, you know, with an alcoholic, once you have that first drink, all bets are off. Uh, you can't just have one. Um, so as much as, you know, I thought it was about willpower. Here I am. You know, I, I can do just about anything, but I can't stop drinking. And um, I, I think what really um in and like i said in the back of my mind you know I, I feared babysitting my granddaughter you know on the weekend what what would ha- what could happen you know if if i'm drunk um you know just taking my dog for a walk you know having conversations with my mom on the phone and not remembering them um i uh i know i had um also told you about you know, when, how I had, uh, somebody had planted the seed about recovery and, you know, I had doctors asking me, you know, would, would, do you want to go to a certain program? You know, you should do this, you should do that. And I, you know, I would, I would Google recovery programs and, um, you know, that the 12 step program, you know, God and, you know, all this, I was like, oh gosh, I, I I can't do that. You know, there's no way I can, I can do that. And, um, I, I got so desperate and it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, today's the day I'm going to stop drinking. I I couldn't do it that way. What I had, I, I had, um, I had gone to a hairdresser, you know, back in probably 2010. And she was, she became a pretty good friend. And one day she said to me, she said, you know, today's my 25th anniversary. And I thought she meant, you know, with her husband being married and it was her sobriety, her 25th year of being sober. And I was blown away. I, I could not believe that, you know, this normal woman could not drank for 25 years. And I had never, I hadn't any idea that she was an alcoholic or that she had a problem. Um, you know, and I kept going to her and, you know, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to, to get sober until, until I had a, you know, a spiritual moment, which to this day, I can't explain. Um, I grew up in a household that, you know, there was the we had there was no religion. We didn't go to church. Uh, you know, my mom was an atheist, and so I didn't have any type of spirituality whatsoever. And, you know, that night, December sixteenth, um, I, I was out walking Willow, and you know, I had some drinks in me, and all of a sudden, I just, out of the blue, I, I said, I can't do this anymore. And I, you know, I texted my hairdresser and I said, Kathleen, I can't do this. I, and she said, what drink? And I said, yeah. And, you know, she asked me if I wanted to go to a meeting the next day. And I said, yes. And that, that's, that's all it took was for, you know, for me to surrender, um, admit that I needed help. I had never admitted that to anybody before. Um, I was just full of shame and, you know, guilt. I I didn't want anybody to know, um, but I, you know, like I said, I, I can't explain what happened, but, uh, I had a spiritual moment and I, I made the decision, you know, it was just, um, luck, you know?
0: So uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or, or AA is, it, it has been key to your sobriety. Yep. Um, but you, you know, you you admitted you had mixed feelings about the group initially. I, right. I think I think you had you had uh, you said that you had stereotyped AA as a room full of drunks practicing religion. Right. And that was the last that was the last place you wanted to be or the last group right. that you wanted to be involved with. Right. Um, but probably because. A, they were probably too much like you, and B, you you had no connection to religion or spirituality at that right. point, right. just because of, of the way that, that that you had that you had grown up. Right. Um, how do you see how do you see Alcoholics Anonymous now? Uh, I, you, I think you had said something like um, that uh, at at that first meeting.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You you immediately felt like you belonged, like it right. was where you were meant to be.
1: Right. What? Yeah. How, I,
0: how did you flip the switch so quickly? It, on... Incredible.
1: I, I think that the switch flipped when I surrendered um, from that moment on, I had I have had no desire to drink whatsoever, which is amazing in itself um, no desire. And, you know, when I, when I walked into that room at the meeting, um, number one, I, I didn't know what I was walking into. I was afraid. I, I was embarrassed. I was scared. I didn't know how many people would be there. I I walked in and there were, there were probably, you know, a hundred people there. And, um, it, it was incredible. I immediately, felt like I was home. These were my people. Um, and it, it didn't take long for me to, to, to fit in and, you know, listening to everybody's stories and realizing that, you know, I wasn't alone. You know, here I was, 53-year-old woman in York. I thought I was the only one with a drinking problem. I really did. And, um, you know, come to find out, I'm not alone, and nobody has to be alone it's it is a disease um you know i the, the shame and guilt just dragged me down for years and um you know going through recovery you you learn about why why you drank why you um, triggers you learn about yourself, you do a lot of deep dives into your into yourself and your, you've learned your defects and, um, and that's been huge. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle when they, when they get sober, they don't have a a program. And I think it's just so important to have others, have people you can talk to, you know, it doesn't have to be a 12 step. There's so many different programs out there and that's what I needed. I needed, you know, when I look back, there's, Scientific evidence that spiritual, you know, the brain, spirituality, or and or religion can have such a positive effect on mental illness. Um, I'm actually reading a book now about it, and it, it's blowing me away. Uh, they've, they've done studies on the brain um, with people that consider themselves to be spiritual versus non-spiritual and they're you know it prevent it can prevent um depression you know they're doing studies on on adolescence and um and i can see myself right now how much spirituality i have it's you know i go out for a daily walk at lunchtime and I'm in tears by the time I get back to my desk because I am just so full of gratitude. It's my half hour of gratitude walk, you know, stuff that I can do for myself, Um, yoga, uh, daily walks and, you know, just talking to other people like yourself. And, um, you know, there's, there's so many different programs out there to help.
0: How important for you now um are meetings and um and and do you have a sponsor
1: i do and meetings are very important if it's it's like working out in the morning it's it's something i do you know you if if i if i don't go to meetings i i can i can tell i'm grumpy i'm snippy i'm not kind Um, you know, and it, it keeps me, keeps me grounded.
0: Do you, do you always, um, do you always share at, at those meetings or sometimes do you just go and listen, like, listen, in other words, what, what, what is it about the meetings for you that puts you at peace, um, until the next, until the next meeting?
1: It's, it's hearing other people's stories.
0: So you don't ne- you don't necessarily have to share. You don't and, have to and, and, absolutely and so, not. No, but you yourself you don't you don't necessarily always feel like you have to share at a meeting. Um no. it, But it's a it's about the energy of it's about the energy of the group. It's about right. the it's about the shared community. It's right. it's knowing that you are with people like, like yourself, yourself exactly that are going through the same thing that you are right. going through, and there has to is there is there some sense of community? Oh, is there oh, yeah. Some it's, sense of communal shared sure. yes. emotion as yeah. it relates to yeah.
1: recovery. You know, you're it's it's a bond. You know, it's it's a spiritual bond is what it is. You know, you you can identify with every word that everybody says. You know, and you know if I'm sitting at work and talking about, I could never say things at work that I c- I can say in a meeting, and it's just so important to. Share, you know, get, get your feelings out, listen to other people. Know you're not alone. Um, you know, and everybody's recovery is different. Everybody's disease is different. Uh, no two people are the same. And you you learn so much about I, I, every meeting I go to, I, I'm learning something. And I'm, you know, and when I do share, I'm hoping that somebody, that I can reach somebody too in some way.
0: Um, how often do you communicate with your, with your sponsor?
1: Um, generally about one, once a week.
0: Hmm. Um, and I, I, suspect it's a, even if you're not communicating daily, there has to be some level of comfort knowing that there's someone on the oh, other yes. end yes. of a, of a telephone call yep. at any point at any right. time, if you, right. if you needed that, that person, yes. um, do you, do, do you serve as a sponsor for someone else?
1: Not yet. Nope. No. no.
0: How does that come about? Is that is, is that something that um, that you that you is a, opportunity is afforded to you at some point during the program? Uh, in other words, do, do you have to have so many years of sobriety before you become like how do how do you Gen- become a sponsor? Generally,
1: you you don't need any um, certain amount of you know. There's no. You don't need a certain amount of time of sobriety. Um, you know, usually someone will come up and ask you, you know, Hey, would you want to be my sponsor? And nobody says no, nobody.
0: Because someone was, someone was there for you
1: uh, initially.
0: Right. And, and, and and the whole idea is that, you know, as, as you climb the ladder, it's important, it's important to turn around and and stick your hand down and help pull someone up as well.
1: Yep. Right.
0: I suspect give that, what you get, I suspect that's, that's part of the, part of the, of the process as well. Um, so you, um, you said that you, you know, you have a higher power that, 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 that there's no other explanation for your recovery. Um, what, what does that mean to you? What, uh, how does that, how does this higher power represent itself in your life day for in me. and yeah. day out for you?
1: It's, you know, it's the feeling that, you know, there, there's something greater than me out there. Um, you know, I tried for, what, 30 years to, to get sober and I couldn't do it on my own. Uh, you know, what, once I surrendered and asked for help, that's, that's when I realized... Um, I, I do have a higher power and all it, all it takes is to have an open mind. You know, when you're drinking, you, you know, you're full of alcohol. You you don't, you don't have an open mind. Um, once I was able to realize that, you know, I just had to have an open mind. Everything started falling into place. Everything, you know, my, my job, my working out, you know, my I the weight just started falling off of me. Um so it's you know, sobriety's amazing.
0: You had mentioned too that um that when 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 people say that they're glad <clears throat> that, that you made the right choice or the right decision, mm-hmm. that, that you don't correct them. Um but for you it, it, it it wasn't about making the right choice or making the right decision. It was about, it was about this higher power entering your life when you surrendered. Right. Um, uh, do do you feel that that's the, that's the case for most
1: people? You know, I, I didn't get uh, a DUI. I wasn't sent to a program. Um, so I, I can really speak just for myself. Um, Everyone comes into recovery with a different experience. I, I was very, very fortunate um, how I got there. A lot of people struggle with, you know, they, they still crave the drink when they come in. I, I never had a craving after that night that I surrendered, which, which is amazing. So, you know, personally for me, that's my higher power coming in. Um, when, when I go out for my walk and, you know, I'm thanking, I'm thanking my higher power for letting me go to bed sober, letting me wake up sober, letting me go to, to work, letting me do everything. Um, you know, just being grateful for, for everything. And a lot of people coming in to sobriety aren't religious or, you know, may not have any spirituality. I was told use, use nature, you know, nature can be your, your, your higher power. Anything can be your higher power. Just believe that there is something bigger than yourself, you know?
0: So it's, it's January of 2017.
1: Yep. And, uh, I've got no self-esteem. You, so (laughs) now now
0: interestingly you know? enough, um, I was not privy to all of this background information when you reached out to me right in January of two thousand and seventeen. I did not right. know this story. Nope. You, you that's not how you introduced that's not how you introduced your need for a coach or your desire to be coached. Again, I uh, we had known each other for well I don't know, at that point, six or seven years. Right, because you had been racing for us, and yep. and uh, we would we would run into each other at trail races or snowshoe races or whatever. We we would see mm-hmm. each other a handful of times every year. Um, I had no idea. No, nope. that uh, to your point, you you did a really good job of hiding it mm-hmm. from most people. Obviously, the people that were the the, the innermost of your inner circle knew what was going on but Mm -hmm. the vast majority of everyone else had no idea no um that you functioned at a very high level for for what you were doing to yourself during that period of time right this sort of slow Mm self-destruction exactly um but 2000, December 16th of 2016 marks sort of a rebirth in a sense for you. For sure. Right. Mm-hmm. A, a starting point in time, the beginning of your sobriety journey. Um, why me? Why, why'd you reach out to me? There's lots of coaches out there. Why? I mean, we right. knew each other, but, but, yeah. but, but why me in 2017?
1: Well, I had been a member of Acidotic for, like you said, probably six or seven years by then, and um, I knew you were coaching some of my friends, and I, um, you know, back when, before that, I, like you said, I was, I had no intent of running mountains, running uphill. I, I didn't have the self-esteem, you know, I, we would run into friends and they'd say, hey, did you sign up for Loon? Or are you doing the mountains, the, the goat series? And I'd be like, there's no way I can run up a mountain. You know, I just, I didn't think I was capable. And I actually thought you had to be, you know, like Ellie Mac to do that stuff. And, um, you know, my friend Cindy, oh, we got to do the goat series. I'm like, no, I, I can't do that, you know? And it it took, let's see, my I was probably four weeks sober when I reached out to you, that's how fast my self-esteem came back. Um, and I, I knew friends that had, you know, talked about you as their coach. And, um, yeah, so I reached out to you.
0: Um, well, I- to say that the rest is history is cliche <laughs> because your your history, our history together continues to be written. Um, but just as far as history goes, um, since uh, you and I have been working together, you had uh, you you had given me a, a, a handful of notable events that we have trained together for. Uh, including uh, Coast to Summit, that multi-sport uh, adventure challenge mm-hmm. um, uh, in 2017 and 2019. That's a hundred or so mile event, uh, including uh, swimming uh, uh, along the coast of Maine, um, uh, riding uh, a, your bike on the road, from the coast of Maine to the base of Mount Washington, the 6,200-foot peak here in central New Hampshire, and then trekking up to the summit of Mount Washington. That's coast to summit, Uh, an epic one-day challenge. Um, You and I worked together on that in both 2017 and 2019. Snowshoe Nationals, I had forgotten that you were an age group winner Uh, in snowshoe nationals at 2000, in 2018, um, uh, uh, USA track and field 50 K trail, uh, age group winner in 2018. Uh, we trained for the ragged three day stage race together. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Kilkenny 50, excuse me, Kilkenny, uh, 25 and 50 mile trail race, Magunta cook 50 K trail race in Maine, um, a solo Pemi loop, um, big A 50 K. You also did the, you didn't mention it here, but you did the Bigelow range in, oh, yeah. in Maine as yeah. well. Right. Yep. Yep. Not a race, but you, you, you did a, you did a, a an end to end on the Bigelow range yeah. in yeah. Maine, an epic one day, uh, hiking challenge mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Patriot half, uh, half, uh, iron, uh, second in your age group in 2021. Timberman, as you mentioned, second in, in your age group in 2021. Ironman, Wisconsin, third in age group in 2021. Um, uh, White Mountain Olympic Triathlon, first in your age group in 2022. Pumpkin Man, the triathlon and the coast of Maine, uh, Olympic, pumpkin man, Ollie, first in age group in 2022, and then of course, uh, world championships in uh, this year. So just a sort of a quick, a, a quick list, not a uh, exclusive or not a exhaustive list, but a quick list of some of the events that, that you and I have trained together um, uh, since we've been working together in 2016. My question is, since we've been working together, um, wh- what is it about my approach uh, or philosophy that's been key to your success now you've been you've been coached before you were coached mm-hmm. before yep. um um but you're clearly that situation was different before you were oh, yeah. you were a functional alcoholic right right, uh, right then um so so it you know it and i and i'm not meaning to compare what i do to 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 w- you know, what happened with other coaches in the past. That's not the the spirit of the question. The spirit of the question is, you know, for you in this moment in your life, in this, in this, in this time in which you are, you are, you are working through your sobriety. What is it about, about my approach or philosophy that's really clicked for you?
1: Well, a lot of things, Um, you know, the, the whole quality over quantity and, you know, the older the older you know an endurance athlete gets, the more careful they need to be with their bodies. Um, you know, back in the day, I thought you know if I had left it up to myself, I, I'd be way overtrained and injured. Um, and you know, every year I've I've taken away so much from you. And when I started training with you, I believe that was the maybe the first year you had us read. The Rock Warrior's Way, and I every a race that I do, I reread that book um, just to you know refresh my memory. And uh, you're you're big on mental training, which I had never done that before. And I I think when it comes to racing, my mental game is as strong, if not stronger, than my physical game. Um, and uh, your injuries, you know. Your you keep us. You keep you know the stretching, the mobility, um, soft tissue work. Uh, you know, I'm I'm you, I'm doing that every day, out of out of habit. I, I I do that more now than than I do any other sport. You know, I, I probably do that seven to ten hours a week. Um, and I learned that from you. You know, I learned the the mental training. You know, when you're, when you're out there and, you know, things aren't going the way you want them to go, you know, you've, you've got to come up with a plan B, um, all the, the tools, the tools in the, in my my toolbox, you know, delay and disassociate, uh, you know, when I'm out running, my, my favorite drill is the meditation in motion. Every, every long run I do, every, every race I try up on, when I get to the run, I'm good. I'm good to go because I, I've got those tools, you know, meditation and motion. I practice them. Um, you have us train the way you want us to, to race, you know, meaning, um, you know, you're you're putting these mental training sessions on our, in our training peaks. Those are our, those are what we do when we train. So, you know, when a race day comes, it's, it's natural, you know, you don't have to think, you know, I remember I was at, um, the Kilkenny, uh, Kilkenny 50 miler. And that was a few years ago. And I, there was a guy behind me, we were kind of running together and he, he commented about my, my soft steps. You know, he said, I I forget what you called it. Uh, but anyway, I I had learned that, you know, soft steps. And, um, I said, yeah, my coach taught me that, you know? And so I, yeah. It's
0: a drill we do. Uh, yeah. it, it's an economy drill and, yep. uh, uh, you are provided the opportunity, uh, typically during an aerobic endurance, uh, run to work on soft, silent foot strikes. That's
1: what it is. I yes.
0: actually, I, I actually described this to, uh, to a client just the other day. I was, I, I was trying to describe it to him cause I had just put it on his, on his calendar. I said, well, I said, let me explain it to you this way. I said, when I when I used to work in Bitterford, Maine, um, I would go for a run at lunchtime and sometimes I would run through uh, downtown Bitterford. Yep. Now downtown Bitterford, Maine, it's 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 not a huge metropolis, but it's a there's a little main, there's a little main street there, and there's usually a handful of people out midday walking, walking on the street. I said, um, the way that I used to practice this running economy drill, this soft, silent foot strikes is. Um, if I noticed somebody walking on the sidewalk ahead of me, walking in the same direction that I was walking, in other words, mm-hmm. they couldn't see me, yep. um, my objective always was to get all the way up to their shoulder and run by them without them hearing me. Right, right, right. It's those loud, clunky, clump, yes. clump, 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 clump foot strikes that yep. are not terribly economical, and right. and that's 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 what we want to work on. So he okay. he chuckled when he heard that description. It comes in handy
1: during a race um, too. You can sneak up on people.
0: <laughs> well, and you, I, I appreciate you you mentioning the book The Rock Warrior's Way. Um, it, it is a book that um, that I encourage all of my athletes to read. Um, I, technically. Uh, the, the book is actually the author is Arno Ilgner. Uh, Ilgner is a, uh, is a climbing or was a, is a climbing uh, legend. Um, I'm not a rock climber, um, but I happened upon the title of the book um, in doing some um, uh, reading on the topic of warriorship, this idea of this warrior mindset. It was another book that I was reading, and the book referenced this book, The Rock Warrior's Way. So I, I was sort of taking notes and writing down titles of other books that I would um, – that I picked up from reading this one particular book. Anyway, I picked up the book, The Rock Warrior's Way. It's technically um, – it's a mental training guide for rock climbers. And so in the book, as you know, Patty, um, some of the book, there's some you know technical climbing jargon. And if you're if you're not a rock climber, it kind of goes over your head. Sort of intended. Mm. Um, it went over my head because I wasn't a rock climber. But but what I realized and appreciated um, in reading the book right away was that there were some really important lessons in the book that applied not only to rock climbers but applied to to me as an endurance athlete, and frankly to me as a as a father and a husband and a as a professional like like these lessons that the book teach apply not only to sport, but they do they apply to our everyday, our, our everyday lives. Um, and, um, and, 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 and that's why the book is so incredibly powerful and and impactful and that it, 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 it it really helps to sort of change your perspective on, on endurance sports. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it it was absolutely transformational for me. And that's why, and that's why I I recommend it. Turns out that, um, that it's possible to apply, um, a number of the techniques from the book into, into endurance sports. You, again, you, you, mentioned very eloquently, um, how the teachings of the book, the rock warriors way are built into a training plan you are provided the opportunity typically during one of your long training units, whether it's a, a long bike training unit or, or a long run training unit. <clears throat> and by the way, not just for triathletes, but for all endurance athletes, you're provided the opportunity to work on, on a particular mental drill. Um, uh, you mentioned to d- delay and disassociate um, is one of them. Um, this idea that, um, When you get to a very challenging point in a training unit, let's say you're at the bottom of a really long, hard, arduous climb, uh, challenging climb, whether it's on the bike or, or, or whether you're on two feet. Um, and as you sort of starting up that climb, you, somewhere in your head, your, your brain starts to tell you that Patty, you, you, you can't do this. You're going to have to, you're going to have to walk. There's no way you can run this entire hill. This drill, this delay and disassociate drill, essentially teaches you to um, recognize that thought, but but not to act on that thought immediately in the moment, but to delay, to say, I can walk this hill, but I'm not going to walk this hill right now. I'm going to wait, or I'm going to hold and i'm going to and i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to think about something else in the moment i'm going to move my thought away from this idea that i cannot do it i'll make the decision about whether i'm going to walk in another moment but not in this moment and then the and 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 then the meditation in motion this i this idea that um that that meditation does not always have to be a static practice Oftentimes when we think of meditation classically, we think of, of people not in motion, people lying very still or sitting very still and meditating. But as you know, um, it is possible for endurance athletes to meditate during the act of moving, again, whether it's a, whether it's a bike unit or a run unit, by raising your, your body awareness. How am I holding my shoulders? what facial expression do I have? Am I clenching my, my fists? If I'm on the bike, um, you know, uh, what, what, does what my pedal technique feel like? How am I sitting on the, on the bike? I mean, just this idea of, of, of raising your body awareness is, is this practice we call meditation in motion. And, and you clearly um, have, have embraced the the mental training aspect. And I, I think it has paid, it it, it has paid huge dividends for you. Um, for, for sure. And I, I know it has, has for me as well. Um, I, I think, um, well, maybe most people wouldn't be surprised, but, um, because they, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they know how much of a savage you are uh on hills now it's funny that you uh that you were you were you were very hesitant to race any mountain races because you didn't feel like you were going to be good enough at it or that or that you somehow you had to be especially good at it in order to do it um uh <laughs> you you've you've really come a long way in a relatively short period of time as it relates to hills uh <laughs> I, I think hill climbing now is one of your, is one of your assets. Now it's certainly not a liability. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you have become, yeah. you have become an incredibly strong climber. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that, that monthly, when we do our, uh, our, our, our monthly performance review, when we do our, our zoom call as, as part of our coaching, um, we, uh, we, we take a look at your activity pattern um, because you're not, you, you don't train for, you don't train for races 12 months out of the year. I mean, right. we only train, we're only in a, in an organized training camp for a, a 12 to 16 week period of time, right? Yeah. Um, outside of that 12 or 16 week window leading up to an A event, um, we are in a, we're in a general activity phase, right? We're not training we're in a general activity phase. And in a general activity phase, um, the only training units are planned for you are three strength units. Right. Um, Now, would you agree? I mean, you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the mental training, you mentioned the soft tissue work. Um, Would you also agree that, that the strength training has been a, a significant force multiplier for you as it relates yeah. to your performance and success, I mean, we oh, yeah. again. I just for rattled sure. off. For I sure. just rattled off all of these uh, successful events you've had. Do you do you, yeah. do you think do you think strength work has been oh, yeah. key yeah. for you?
1: Yeah, I uh, you know prior to working with you, I never did any strength work, um, and you know once I started with you, I I don't know six years I've I've come a long way, um, but it's definitely you know the strength work has so much to do with it. It's the consistency too. Um, you know, I'm not doing strength work, you know, a few days a week, a couple months of the year. I'm, I'm doing it consistently pretty much. Um, you know, three days in the off season, two days, maybe in season, uh, you know, focusing on my sport specific muscle groups, you know, the legs, lower body, um, you know, a lot of, you know, squat type of, exercises, um, you know, a lot of dry land for the the swimming portion. Um, Injury prevention is huge, you know, just using muscles that you don't always use, which, you know, can help you with your running or your your biking. Um, I had a history of injuries, hamstring, um, calf, everything, you know, glute. And, uh, you know, when I started working with you, the injury, you know, my injuries, um, I got injured a lot less. And over the past year, you know, you've had, you did the self-assessment with me, which is, you know, pretty much a video of, you know, my overhead functional functionality, my mobility. And um, after, you know, your suggestions and exercises that I've been working on for a year, um, I think last year was the first year that I made it without any injuries and at, at my age, you know, that's, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. Let, well, let's, let's, let's mention that. Right. Because um, next year uh, is, uh, well, it's kind of a monumental year uh, in, yeah. in terms of birthdays. Yeah. Uh, what, how old <laughs> will you be uh, next year? 2023? I will be 60
1: and 60, you know, 60. I think only us age group athletes appreciate moving up (laughs) to Uh, the next age group, you know? Correct.
0: Right. Because yeah, but it's all, well, it's always, it's always an advantage to race at the lower end of the the age group than at the upper end of the age group in terms of age. Um, would, would you say that, that at 59 years of age at nearly 60 years of age, that you are as fit now as you have ever been?
1: Yes, I would say I'm more fit. Um, I'm stronger, uh, I, phew, I was, you know, I can, I don't, you know, I was putting the weights on the angled leg press this morning and, you know, I'm putting 320 pounds on there now. And I was at 76 years ago, you know, so I've, um, you know, there's that. And then my running, uh, you know, my speed, I was a 10, before I started with you, I don't even think I was a 10 minute miler. And now I'm, you know, trying to qualify for Boston, which is pretty cool. Uh, I was never a runner until I started training with you. Um, my swimming is stronger. My core. Oh, core. Yeah. So, you know, core essentials, your core essentials program I'm doing, you know, three to four days a week. That You, you know, it's just, it, every little piece, every little step, you know, making small improvements year after year. You know, they become habits. And, you know, that's how I feel when I've been working with you. I've picked up a lot of little things along the way that I continue to do, um, do better. You know, smarter. Not necessarily more training, but just smarter.
0: Yeah, I think, I think I, I, I made a comment something to the when, when I, uh, when I shared your experience at the world championships. I, I made some comment to the effect um, that um you know it 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 doesn't take extraordinary effort to realize exceptional results it takes consistent exceptional effort in 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 the ordinary moments in the everyday moments in the little things right, right. Yeah. um because it, because i i think oftentimes people Some people might look at your success and think, well, there's no possible way that I could, that I could get sober and that I could, I could qualify for a world championship. Like, like, like the thought of that just is, I mean, it's an extraordinary, I mean, when you, when you step back and you look at it, the journey through the journey, the journey through sobriety and this this amazing physical transformation i mean it really is extraordinary yet the reality is the way you got here in terms of both your sobriety and your and your physical accomplishments the way you got here was was in doing the little things exceptionally well day in and day out what's the expression one day yeah. at a time
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Do,
0: do you do you agree with that, that, that I, yeah. how you got here, Patty, was not because of one amazingly heroic effort?
1: Nope, absolutely. But
0: rather in hundreds of thousands of yes. small yes. moments that you conquered.
1: Yep, yep. You know, to to compare now to six years ago, you know, you've got it's like compa- comparing apples and oranges you know, um, but making those small steps along the way, you know, you you can see, I can see the pattern, you know, of myself improving and, you know, all these different aspects. Um, I didn't make any huge changes, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't wake up one day and say, Hey, you know, um, I, I want to run a marathon. Chris, do you want to train me for six months? You know, make all that quick improvement. You know, when you do something like that, that quick, um, you know, chances are at the end of that six months, you're, you've you burnt yourself out, you're done. Um, it's, And that's another thing. You know, I'm a process, journey-driven person. Um, sometimes I think I sign up for an Ironman race to do the 16 weeks of training. You know, I, I, I love, I love the process. I love the journey. I, I, it's, you know, when I was drinking, all I wanted to do was to wake up sober and go to bed sober. That's all I wanted, you know, and now I can do that daily. I jump out of bed now, you know, I'm I'm just so happy that I can jump out of bed and do what I love to do. Um, everything I do, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I can do it sober. So I Uh, I think gratitude is just, you know, that's, that's another thing with me. I'm again, I can start crying on the drop of a dime when I start talking about how grateful I am, but, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm journey driving and I, I do have a tough time in the off season, uh deciding what to do. You know, this morning I'm like, do I run? Do I swim? Do I bike? I, I need, I need a plan and I, I need it now. <laughs>
0: you, yeah. You, you, you also have a, a, a difficult time, uh, dialing back your, uh, very consistent activity pattern. You and I talk about this all the time. Um, I, it, it's not uncommon for you, uh, during a general activity phase like you are in now, Um, to put in 14, 15 hours of activity a week. Now it's not training because right right now we're in a general activity phase. You're not training for anything. Um, but you are, you are routinely and consistently active. I actually have to put limits on you in terms of the total number of hours of activity per week. Um, I never force you to take a non-active day. Um, but I do have to sometimes put limits on the total amount of activity that you do in a, in a general activity phase. Um, with respect to consistency, um, do off the top of your head, do you remember the last time that you took a non active day?
1: No, an absolute zero day. No. And I don't think I could, um, (laughs) I, not because I'm trying to outdo myself, but, for my own mental health, you know, it's like, it's, if, if I don't do it, I'm going to feel off. And I don't like that feeling. You know, it's the, oh, I, ah, damn, you know, what's wrong? Oh, I didn't exercise today. I, you know, the, the best thing for me mentally, physically, spiritually is getting my workout done in the morning. That, that sets the course for the rest of the day. And I don't have to do anything hard. It just, you know, it can be a, an easy swim, you know, just, just something I have to do something or I just, I don't feel myself.
0: Well, we've, we've, we've talked about, you and I have talked about this. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I am, I am very much proponent of regular and consistent physical activity. I mean, for me, me personally, I, um, in another week or so, I'm coming up on on uh, three years of daily physical activity without missing mm-hmm. a day. Um, I, again, not because I'm intentionally, you know, trying to, you know, pull off some sort of streak, but because, yeah. I, I feel like I need to move every day. And you and I've had this conversation because um, y- you, like me, Uh, need daily physical activity. It's something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. One of the things we have talked about, though, that's been key for you in terms of not physically or mentally breaking down, again, you haven't taken a non-exercise day in a couple of years. Um, The key to that, I think, has been two keys to that. One has been that your activity compulsion uh, changes depending on the activity right. phase we're in. For instance, in a Ironman training camp, you, you could have as much as 17 to 20 hours of planned activity a week, like planned activity. Yep. That's how much I need you to do in order for you to adequately prepare for an Ironman distance mm-hmm. triathlon. In a general activity phase, as we are in now, you might only have 3 hours of compelled activity in other words 3 1-hour strength sessions a week that's right. all that i ask yep i don't ask i do not ask you to do anything else beyond that no nope. you still put in another 12 hours of activity because you 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 just need to move but i but i think the difference two differences two keys are one is that one is the activity compulsion that is there are times of the year that you are not compelled to do that much physical activity. In other words, you do it because you want to do it, not because it's on the schedule. Right. I think compulsion is an important element in terms of getting burnt out Mm -hmm. from an activity pattern. The second thing is you and I have talked about, that's been a key to your ability to remain highly physically active and, 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 and very consistently. So is the variety of activity that you perform.
1: Right.
0: You know, we've talked about, um, the fact that your activity pattern, in my opinion, would simply not be sustainable. If you were only a runner, if that's all that you did, right. I am I mean, just I, mm, I, I have, yeah. I have, I have friends who are streakers, yep, um, and that's their thing. In fact, I'm, 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 I'm working to get, uh, I'm working to get one on on my podcast soon because I, um, I, I'm really interested in, in exploring, yeah, this <laughs> element of single right. sport streaking because I, right. as a coach, I don't, Whew. as an exercise physiologist, I don't, uh, uh, I don't encourage it. I, right. but, but, but that that's an aside. Uh, what's important is for you, and and for me as well, you're not doing the same activity every single day. Like, in fact, you rarely, aside from your soft tissue work, you're rarely doing the same activity two days in a row. The high degree of activity variety for you, I think has been key to your ability to remain physically active in a, in a highly consistent manner. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yes. And, you know, even next year I've got, you know, my big races are, you know, triathlon, you know, my, my big race, um, Ironman Lake Placid in July. And then I'm going into Cook training. So, you know, I'm going to be focused on triathlon for, you know, five months or whatever, and then I'll be trail running for a few months. So. And, and that keeps me fresh, too. Um, I'd love t- to mix it up. Otherwise, yeah, doing the same old sport, you know, every every season would, would burn me out.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think it's entirely it's entirely appropriate. And it's, it's 100% possible for athletes that need to be consistently active. It's entirely possible to be physically active every single day.
1: Oh if, definitely
0: two things. If mm-hmm. the compulsion to be physically activity varies at different times of the year, in other words, you, you don't feel as though you have to. You do it because right. you want to. Yeah. And then secondly, there's variety that you're swimming and biking and running and cross training and doing soft tissue work and strength training. Like you get all these different yeah. things. So that's yeah. first of all, the, the repetitive stress on the body is much less when there's a high degree of variability Mm -hmm. and also mentally, it's much more stimulating knowing that you, you you got different things that you do that that you can enjoy. And I've done a Um, lot
1: of yoga too, this year yoga has really helped
0: you you have and and we uh we came to the agreement that that yoga was not going to count toward your toward your upper limit of 16 hours of activity right, right. <laughs> which you lobbied me you're like well wait wait a minute wait doesn't you, 16 count. hours a week yeah, th- th- there's no way i can stay not under fair. sixteen hours a week that's not fair i said well okay why don't we why don't we not count yoga you're like, yeah. okay all right, all right okay well, we can do that you can do as much yoga as you want that doesn't count toward your 16-hour limit. Sometimes I uh, I ask the listeners uh, for questions for my guest, and in this case, uh, we did get a listener question. So I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you this question from the listener, and then I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about your uh, big, hairy, audacious goals for 2023. Mm. So Steph G from New Hampshire uh, wants to know. If you could only give one piece of wisdom gained from your lived experience to the listener, what would it be and why? Mm. What's Patty's one pearl of wisdom? The hard part, Patty, is narrowing it down to one pearl.
1: Right. One. I, um, what,
0: what's your one pearl of wisdom I, from I, your I, lived experience?
1: I hate to sound cliche, but. Have gratitude and show gratitude. Um,
0: now, why? What? Why is that? What? Why? Why gratitude? Why has gratitude been so
1: impactful has, for you? It has enabled me to to realize that you know it coming in first, second, or whatever uh, is it, it's not that's not important. What What's important is being able to get to the starting line. Um, you know, I've had a, f- a few years, you know, my 2 A races. We didn't talk about Wisconsin, but, um, you know, the whole fiasco with my bike uh, before the race. And, you know, I, again, I didn't think I was going to be able to race um, that race, but uh, just having the gratitude for being able to get to the start line, um, you know, thanking the people that are helping you get there. You know, without them, you're you're probably not gonna get you're not gonna have the support that you need to, you know, to be successful. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I think the process based goals has really helped me over the past year to you know, to get, to get to this position where I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I, I have a lot to be grateful for. I am just waking up in the morning sober, uh, you know, go out and live like it's your, you know, like you want treat people like you want to be treated. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I, I very much, um, am also a proponent of gratitude. You know, that, I only expect four things from my athletes when they race and there are 4 process-based expectations. Be focused. Yeah. Be tenacious.
1: Yeah.
0: Be curious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And number four, be grateful. Right. Right. So I, I share with you, um, I share with you the, the importance of, of gratitude. Um,
1: Enjoy the journey.
0: Wow. Well, <laughs> and, 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 you know, this is, this, journey-based mindset is part of the process-based mindset as well. So, you know, we, we say that if your goals don't scare you a little, then (laughs) they're not big enough. Right. Um, so you've got some big goals in 2023. Do you, do you care to share those three big goals, uh, for 2023?
1: Sure. You know, they say, if you put your goals out there, you're going to hold yourself more accountable. Um, So let's see. I'm doing a a half Ironman in June, and my goal is to qualify for 70.3 Worlds for that race. And I'm doing Lake Placid Ironman in July, and my goal is to qualify for Worlds in that race. And something that's really new to me um, is to attempt to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I you know, over the past 20 years, I'd, everyone would ask me, oh, you're running Boston? You're running Boston? And I'd be like, no, I can't run Boston. I'm not fast enough. Or, you know, I, I'm, I can't raise $10,000. And um, over the past few years, Chris, working with you, I've, I've become a runner, which just blows my mind. Um, so turning 60, I figured, you know, I'm probably in the best shape of my life right now. And if I'm gonna have these big goals, it's the timing's right. So I'm gonna try to qualify for Boston at Shigaloaf Marathon.
0: So qualify for Boston. Yep. Qualify for 70 point three worlds and qualify for Kona. Yep. Yeah. Those are well, I think uh big and I hairy.
1: Think, <laughs> I think
0: those are spot on, yeah, for big, <laughs> hairy, audacious. Go
1: high or go home.
0: Um Patty, let's, let's finish, let's finish with this. It's a segment of the show. I like to call three random questions. Um, so I'm going to ask you three random questions. Um, actually, f- well, three random questions, but I'll preface with, with, with this one question. And that is, um, will you confirm, uh, to the listener that you have not received these questions in
1: advance? I have not received. These so
0: questions. these truly are three random questions.
1: Yes. All right.
0: Okay. Here we go. Um, random question, uh, question number one for Patty Higgins, Patty, everything that we've, that we've, we've talked about, um, in terms of your, um, your, your journey through sobriety, um, and your sort of this incredible physical transformation, um, uh, it, again, to the point at which you are, you know, you'll be turning 60 next year and you are in the best physical condition of your life. All of this is incredibly inspirational. Um, Random question number 1 is uh who inspires you?
1: Hmm. Oh boy. You know, I w- I would have to say um my a sponsor of mine um kathleen yeah she um and you know she's done a, a lot of things in her i in, is it supposed to be somebody everybody knows or <laughs> can i no no this okay is, this is this is this is the yeah. person
0: that inspires you so, this person can be, this person could be totally ordinary or it can be the yeah, most famous so, person in the world. It's, it's, you know, it's, this I've, person I've, is
1: yours. You know, she's helped me through, she's helped me get to where I am today. And, um, you know, as a so- sober woman, just, you know, the woman of, de- I, I think, yeah.
0: But. Makes sense, right? That yeah. um, that a person that's been that impactful in your life is is also the most inspirational as well. Yeah, um, you know, and and anyone who has who has traveled the path that we are traveling, and sort of. can show us the way is is someone that we have to admire and, and, and look up to Um, random question. Number two, Uh, you've, 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 you've raced all over the country. um, But where was the most beautiful course you've ever raced?
1: St. George. Yeah.
0: Saint George, Saint George, George, Utah, Utah. world yeah. seventy point yep. three. Yep. Yep. Um, remind me, had you had you been there before?
1: I had not been there before. No, I um, hadn't been to Utah. Uh, it was, you know, it was beautiful.
0: Was it that much different than places that you had been before? Yes. Yes. that, I mean, is that, yes. Is that yes. Part of it. I mean, just as far a...
1: as courses goes, I mean, Lake Placid's beautiful, um, but I think you know, just you know, Utah, the the geography is is not like you've ever seen around here. As mm. I'm sure you've known, you've been out there.
0: I have. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, it it's a lot different. Uh, yeah. Than 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 here in New Hampshire. Um. Okay, random question number three, or the last, my last random question for you uh, is this, one of my <clears throat> favorite questions to ask. Um, so I have a time machine in my garage. You, because you've listened to the podcast, you've, mm-hmm. you've heard, you've heard yep. me ask yep. this question to yep. other people before. Um, and I'm going to ask it to you now. So maybe you've thought of this. Maybe you've thought about how you would answer this question, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to ask you anyhow. So I have a time machine in my basement, and I'm going to give you a free trip. Um, You can go forward in time, as far forward as you want, or you can go back in time, as far back as you want, your lifetime or before your lifetime. But you can only spend three seconds in the future, or you can spend three hours in the past. So which would it be? 3 seconds in the future? 3 hours in the past? When would it be? Where would it be? And why?
1: Well, I um 3 3 hours in the past with with my dad. Um probably when he was in his, you know, early early 20s. He he too was an alcoholic and he he was a man of very few words. I, um, you know, growing up, I, we, we didn't talk much and he didn't, he didn't offer any, he he didn't offer anything about himself really. And, you know, it wasn't until he passed away that I, I learned a lot about him. Um, you know, he was a, a Korean war vet. Uh, you know, he, he had, um, he and his family had come over from Ireland And he, you know, he was, I think he was 17 and he tried to get into the army and they found out he was underage. He got kicked out and then he ended up going back in and then, you know, serving for for our country. But I think I would like to go back and just, you know, find out more about him.
0: Do you think what you know about him now um, would would change your perspective?
1: You know, being, being sober and having, you know, going through recovery, I, I can understand, I understand, um, why he was the way he was. And not that I could change things, but it would be very interesting, um, you know, to see, to see what he was like when he was, when he was younger. No,
0: let me, um, let me ask one, uh, one, one final question, one final bonus question, because I, because I, I should have, I should have asked this question before. Um, if, if someone is going through what you had gone through leading up to December 15th of 2016, and they're listening to this and they, and they, and they hear your story, your journey through your own personal journey through sobriety. Um, you know, how you, how you picked up the phone and you called your hairdresser and you told her that you were ready. Yep. And the next day you found yourself in a meeting. Mm-hmm. what advice would you give to someone like you on december 15th of 2016 where do you turn to who do you call how do you get how do you get help yep when you're when you're finally when you're finally when you're ready ready to surrender yep how do you take the next step
1: well, or how first, do you take the
0: first step towards sobriety? Right. First, you know, first, is...
1: you know num- number one, you're, you're admitting that you need help. You know, for, for me, um, that was huge. Uh, you know, tell somebody there's, there's so much help out there. Um, it doesn't have to be a 12 step re- program. Uh, if, there are so many different um, resources out there. And know that you're, you're not alone. Don't blame yourself. Um, you can recover. You, uh, you know, you can, you can work through the your problems. Um, you know, when I first, it was funny, I remember, you know, going to the a doctor and her saying to me, I'd be curious to find out why you drink. And I'm thinking, I, I like to drink. That was, that's that was, That was why I drank and, you know, going through recovery, you find out so much about yourself and, and, and why you drank and you can recover. Um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to be an alcoholic in recovery. I'm, my life is just, you know, for the normal person to hear somebody say that, you know, really you're grateful to be an alcoholic. Yes, I am. Um, I, You know, I carry myself differently every day. Uh, Recovery has helped me with my personal relationships, with work, everything. Um, But I think, you know, the hardest part is to just surrender and uh, you're not alone. Don't be shamed. Um, It's a disease. Uh, I had a hard time. Even though I knew it was a disease, because it was me, I had a hard time um, saying that I had a disease. Uh, you know, reach out to me, reach out to, you know, there's hotlines out there. You know, if you Google recovery, you're, you're going to get 50 hits everywhere, all different sorts of, you know, resources, um, hope
0: there's hope. Would you, You would would you say that it's fair to say that someone like yourself or anyone like yourself, uh, who, who is on this recovery journey is a good resource for someone is a good is a good is a good hand for someone to reach out yes, for sure Too.
1: they they've been there yep Yeah. if you reach out to somebody you're they're, they're gonna they're gonna help you
0: well i think i mean i i think i think everyone knows someone yeah who is who is on this this yeah. journey yeah um well, Patty, I, I want to thank you. This is, it, this is this, it's been a wonderful, um, wonderful time spent with you. And uh, I appreciate your honesty and, and candor and, and talking about this, uh, this, you know, this intimately personal uh, topic. So, and, and I know that, that, that this conversation is, is, is likely to help someone else out there who's in a very similar position that you were in. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is said that gratitude drives happiness. Happiness boosts productivity. Productivity reveals mastery and mastery inspires the world. Patty is the living example of this truth. For her, gratitude is not a spontaneous feeling. But rather a conscious practice. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to your homepage and click the follow button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J Dunn and on the show's Facebook page at Eat Half, Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.